My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? Welcome to school. Sit down, shut up, and open wide. We've got lies, misdirections, and half-truths in all shapes and sizes. All are welcome, and none remain the same. For worse or wear, don our uniform and sit down in your chair as teacher reminds you of your insignificant place in this insignificant anomaly in a galaxy of chaos. Order, order, order in the classroom. Now sit down and listen as we make order out of chaos. Maybe this wasn't your school. Maybe it was worse. Maybe you're a teacher listening to this. How wrong am I? Here to remind us and reschool us is Bruce Satoris. He wrote the book God, School, 9-11, and JFK. He's been here before, and he's here again to talk to us about school and how it's failed my generation, probably yours. I'm Mystic Mark, and thank you for listening to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Enjoy this episode with Bruce Torres. What I hear very, very often is, gee, Bruce, school didn't suck that bad. And I submit the bell curve as a model. It's a hierarchy. Oh, you, you, you please your superiors, you dominate your inferiors, and you rise through the ranks just by doing what you're told. It's sifting and sorting those who are super at following orders and just not thinking for themselves. This is the policy. You can you can rise to the top and run a thing like that if you don't question why anything's done. The CEOs and the generals and the heads of the hospitals and the big corporations, pharmaceutical corporations, they are in lockstep obedience. They kiss the ass above them and they crap on the people underneath them. It's inhuman. It's not human. There's no reverence and respect for mutual rights. It's got nothing to do with American ideals of the consent of the governed. You don't care what your inferiors want to do. They have to follow orders. The military is the perfect model for hierarchies, and that's school, and that's corporate America, and that's what school is meant to find. Those who can enjoy a little taste of power over others. And it's sadomasochistic because they'll take all the abuse from those above them and they will viciously inflict abuse on those below them. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the My Family Fix Some Crazy podcast. And today on the show, we have someone 
who's become a friend of mine over the past year or so. My friend Bruce, not only an actor, not only a podcaster on the podcast Trying Day Journey, he is also a author of God School 9-11 and JFK, The Lies That Are Killing Us and The Truth That Sets Us Free. So we're here to talk to him about that again. Bruce joined us way back when, and here he is. Bruce, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm really good. It's uh, great to catch up with you, Mark. You're a very, uh, you're a special guy. You have, you know, you helped me connect with other podcasters right out of the gate. You have a real love for the truth and empowering people with uh, reasons to be cheerful and reasons to love life. And uh, I couldn't be uh, happier to have you as a friend. Thank you. That means a lot. And I appreciate you being here. I've been kind of pushing this one down the road. So I appreciate your patience because this is long overdue. What's been going on in your world? I mean, last, last time we saw each other in person, it was last summer. I'm sure a lot's gone on since. Any developments with uh, Trine Day or any new books in the works? Yeah, I, uh, I do marketing for them every week. We record an interview with one of Chris's other authors, Chris Milligan. He's published about 120 books, over 120 books in the last 20 years, exposing all kinds of lies and corruption behind the scenes that the mainstream won't touch trineday.com and that's also where you'll find the podcast called you know the journey and we do these monthly roundtables exploring this one particular book called the valediction people can read about that at valediction.net it's pretty fascinating the next one's next week and it's called resurrect jfk and the usa and one of the questions is was jfk killed to avenge events in the 14th century. That's something we've been exploring the last couple roundtables. These are live Zoom events people can learn all about at valediction.net. And I'm starting to co-host uh, a podcast with Ed Dodge called lostgoddess.io surrounding his research and passion that he put into his book, uh, history of the goddess from the ice age to the Bible about God had a wife back in the middle, middle East, back in those days. And the goddess tradition, the divine feminine tradition that flourished naturally in and among humans until monotheism became a nice excuse for men to dominate tyrannically over women and their societies and the, the harm that's causing Western civilization, severing us from Mother Earth and all the good, loving and healing and spiritual otherwise energies that divine feminine represents. So that's that's my fire hose all over everyone about what's kind of new these days. Mm. Well, Tara, you're here with us on the show. I think that's just so synchronistic and fitting that you would join us while uh, Bruce has this to say. I want to get into this. I know it's Ed Dodge's topic, and he wrote uh, a book about it, but you sound like you know a thing or two, and you know God is a big part of your book itself. So what have you learned so far about the goddess and the God and, and 
even, you know, how she's been, let's say, hidden from us in history, throughout history? It expands what I had already seen about how official Christianity, specific the good old Catholic Church, dominated its followers as it went to conquer other lands to dominate more followers, and how it predates that into the monotheistic development, really, because before that, in that part of the world, like I say, and like Ed teaches in his book and on this podcast, things were kind of balanced, you know, God had a wife, Asherah, and and that's consistent with the religious and spiritual practices and, and mythologies worldwide. And you just have to look at the human race to see, hey, there's two kinds of humans. It's not a big shock to imagine that they'd come up with two kinds of gods, you know. And Ed got into this by studying cannabis because he couldn't believe the hypocrisy about this, this weed that had been used for centuries for medicinal and many other purposes, and especially hemp with all of its industrial, you know, purposes. Back to, back to the beginning of human culture. We, we were raised in, with hemp and cannabis and marijuana and, and all that stuff. Where I try to expose it in my book is, expose these ideas in my book, is to examine spirituality as the nature, the nature of reality is, is spiritual. And I can only attest and share the ideas that make it fun for me to be a human, make it fun for me to be alive and give me some, some hope as I face old age and death, as we all do eventually, in a way that keeps me very, very sane, keeps me loving and help me develop a worldview that embraces everyone and everything everyone and everything because if i hate or cut off or reject anyone or anything i feel that hatred i feel that rejection and my experience of happiness is poison so it's a it's a it's it's a very holistic kind of thing i think i hope i well described it in the book and i must be doing something right because it attracts groovy friends like you i agree yeah i think that's why we're here and you know, I remember a conversation you and I had while we were driving way back in, in June where we were talking about something that's really close to home for me, the, you know, sort of omens or birds that I was seeing. And you reminded me, you know, of how onto it I was. And I remember you cited, I don't remember their name, but it was an elder of a certain tribe talking about the connectivity of nature and the connectivity of all life. And I imagine, you know, this is something you explored while getting into that topic of God, because as you put it, you know, in a slightly paraphrasing what you just said, they've lied to us about what we are. They've lied to us about our source. They've, they've lied to us about that connection that we have between us and the creator. And, one of the ways they've done that is by polarizing it. How do they polarize it? Well, they tell us that there's only one and he's a, a male. And then for, you know, all of the implications that that creates with, you know, gender clashing, I guess we'll just call it that. 
And to yeah. keep us from our bodies, mm. I think, too, because the feminine is, is the body, you know, as far as I can tell. I don't know. <clears throat> no, it's, it's a, that's rather a bullseye, Tara. I was sent, I'm reading a book called The, the Sacred You, or that's in the other room, by Ruth Gould Goodman. And she describes her journey from youthful unhappiness to the happiness as an adult through trying to understand her own psychological pain. And from the first page, Tara, she says her salvation has been to put her attention into her body. Cause as a little girl, she really felt connected to source energy and peace, love and calm and happiness while dancing. So her body is her touchstone for tapping into the, the real her, which is the real us, which is the real energy inside and behind everything that many say, and I sure like to think, is eternal and it's infinite and we're always safe and all is, all is well. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. I would say that's something that we need to hear. I think you get enough of the the manipulation and negative frequencies from the way people are telling you reality is and all the other sources. So here is a, a nice place to remind people that, hey, all is well, you know, but let's get into really the dynamics of how all is well, because I think reality is consciousness. And when you truly understand your factor and how you fit into the collective consciousness, you can start to have a, have a say in what happens to you, we'll say, you know, and not just be, you know, at the will of, of the forces of the universe. Yeah. And one has to have a spiritual imagination to even be comfortable hearing everything is consciousness. There's a lot of people for whom that resonates instantly. Maybe they grew up hearing it. They say wherever they picked it up, a movie, you know, the Beatles or, or the Gospels, some things that Jesus may have supposedly said. But there's a lot of fear and bullying because folks have no spiritual imagination. And if they accidentally found this podcast and heard someone say everything is consciousness they they look they, they look for the sports or the weather or the or the dow jones report because it means nothing to them that's just airy fairy nonsense until it's like you're advising us let's break it down you know let's try to make it kind of tangible you know for folks and i think that to develop a spiritual imagination. If someone is grappling with the kind of fear and anxiety I just described, they've tried everything else and the drugs and the alcohol and the cigarettes and the binge video games and everything else is just getting a little boring and not really doing the trick anymore. I would tell them to develop their spiritual imagination. A couple things. Number one is pay attention, pay attention to everything, pay attention specifically to what causes what pay attention to how when this person says this to that person, how the other second person reacts, pay attention to what causes what. 
and especially to what causes what inside you and learn what, what triggers you learn what you feel to, to a nuance. We're going to get to consciousness objectively, you know, quantum physics and all this other stuff. But if people can't calm themselves down to, to, to listen and learn and take in any new information, Mark, as you know, they can't, they can't hear anything. And the, the fun part about consciousness is to read anything about the state of modern physics for the last hundred years, physics physicists have been saying the stuff of which all is made is energy. It manifests as particles, atoms, and it becomes, you know, solid stuff that we can hit. And it also manifests as waves, force fields, and electromagnetism and such like, but it's never all one or all of the other. How it manifests depends on all the circumstances around it, whatever it is. All the circumstances around it are the entire universe. Now, even more weird, wacky, and wonderful is in the laboratory doing experiments with energy. Can we make it manifest as a particle? Can we make it manifest as a wave? Depends on the intention and the design of the experiment. So the presence of the observer and the observer's intention determines in experiments whether energy manifests as a particle or as a wave, which implies that energy is conscious. And it also implies that there's no place where the thing stops and we start because these experiments have extended into experiments in telepathy and, and psychic powers. And the fact that a machine that randomly generates odd and even numbers will generate them evenly. 50, 50% will be odd, 50% will be even. Until a human is put in the room and he opens the envelope given him by the controllers of the experiment, and the envelope says, think about odd numbers. He's sitting next to the machine, and over time, it starts to generate more odd numbers. The machine knows that the guy in the room, not saying anything out loud, is thinking about, so bottom line and is that the hope and the fun is that Consciousness is the eternal and infinite reality that exists, and it gives rise to all experience, you, me, and what we perceive. And when we meditate, we tap into, with our still calm state, all that consciousness is, which is all that it's ever been, all that's happening right now on theoretically infinite dimensions and all that will ever be happening simultaneously. And there's a great book that helps people experiment with goals and, and transforming their lives called think and grow rich by a man named Napoleon Hill. And he talks about imagine table around whom are his heroes that he wants to tap into their advice Abraham Lincoln, Jesus Christ, a bunch of others. And 
in our imagination, we can summon that kind of information. And he summons such realistic conversations with them that he couldn't talk about it with other people because he knew they're going to think I'm nuts. But these are so real, he couldn't wait to be doing them. And one presumes he did it without drugs. And my hope and my fascination, it's my mind, I get to think whatever I want, and I get to choose ideas that, that are fun and make it fun to be me. My, my idea, my hope is that since everything that's ever exist is still existing on some dimension, I can tap into anyone who's ever lived. I can tap into what it feels like to have been George Washington and having that kind of courage and perseverance during the worst of the war. I can tap into Martin Luther King's courage or Mahatma Gandhi's courage. I can, I can tap into that and all the joy of living that, uh, that anyone has ever experienced with any of the dogs, cats, or horses they ever knew, had, and, and loved. So consciousness, one can't read and think enough about consciousness as an adult, which folks starts when you're around 12 or 13. Before that, you can, you can goof around a lot. You can goof around a lot, you know, just mind your manners, you know, <laughs> but an experiment. And, and ex- but when you're ready to think and, and really figure out why are things the way they are? Why are people the way they are? It comes down to identity. And most folks have an ego where they think I'm me nothing else in the universe is me and it's me against everyone and everybody in the universe. And I'm separate. And that's the injury. That's the mistake. That's the error. And that's the cause of all fear and competition and justifying. I'm going to get mine before you get yours, you know? And I think um, that takes us to our next point on the Venn diagram behind you, which is school, because I think a lot of people naturally wouldn't, behave in this way they wouldn't have these psychological maladies that society is fraught with because society through the schooling system facilitates this deranged psychology that's you know promoted in you know most mainstream culture it seems and i think that's kind of a fundamental understanding before we get to you know, topics like 9-11 and JFK to understand how consciousness really works. Because if you understand how consciousness works, you can see why these events take on more than just a materialistic cause and effect. It's, it's more than just A triggered B and then the result was C. What we're talking about here is quite literally occult magic high sorcery you know and i don't say that lightly as somebody who's like chicken little you know scared of the the occult but i do you know warn people like this stuff is it's you know it's connected we're connected right so i think consciousness and the way you just explained you know is a is a great i don't know segue into our next maybe point and unless you have more to add on that no, if I do, it'll come up, you know, Mark, for, for you audio listeners, Mark is referencing the poster of my book cover over my shoulder, God School, 9-11 and JFK. And folks can go to brucedetaurus.com to learn all about my book. You'll see the amazing reviews it's gotten. Mark's holding it up for the video audience and decide for yourself if, if you'd like to get it. 90% of Americans go through public school. And I suggest 
That's that's ninety uh, percent of all of our problems because I submit and describe how school teaches us one and one thing only: do nothing until you're told what to do, and then over time, by the time you're eighteen, you've had a lot of experience. We've had a lot of experience in school choosing from the limited options presented to us in school, choosing from the options given to us by authority. So it reinforces we're obeying authority, we're pleasing authority, but worse, to take kids that young into an environment like school, a prison like school, and keep them there until they are full blown, mature, young men and women capable of reproducing is a crime against humanity because I believe humans make decisions in order to survive. Like fish swim and birds fly, we need to make decisions easily with confidence, without a lot of second guessing, without a lot of having to get permission, with a lot of freedom in order to be sane and mac and have maximum control and also be maximum pro- productive and expressive and in being an individual. And school prevents all that. And it drives us nuts because without being able to make 10,000 decisions as we're growing up to release Americans at 18 or 22, if you go through college and now say, you've got to, you've got to choose big, important things. Like what are you going to do for the rest of your life? What are you going to major in? We haven't let those young humans make 10,000 easy decisions about how they're going to live their day. We were not in school. We're not allowed to steer our own lives. Bottom line summary we're not allowed to interact with and fall in love with life. We're not allowed to play in nature. We're not allowed to invent games. We're not allowed to wander through town and look through the windows and see how all kinds of adults do all kinds of things and volunteer to help and be enlisted as a gopher and be enlisted as an apprentice and dabble in everything under the sun. We're not allowed to rise to competence at personal individual levels. And when one reads history, which has no value in America, nothing in school teaches the value and the importance of history. But if one, when one reads history, we see boys and girls rising to competence at completely different speeds and rates. There were in the American civil war, a number of officers in charge of a company of men, maybe a platoon, maybe a a brigade of men, maybe a, maybe just a ship. These officers were 12. They were 14 years old. They were 17 years old. Why? Because they were the most competent of that little band of men and they had to get something done And that's what's possible when humans are free to develop at their personal, natural way and satisfying their own curiosity. Humans learn 
in order to survive. It's what they naturally do. Children, free range children among the families and adults who love them, ask a million questions. Why is that red? Why do you crack the egg first? Why do you pull the weeds before you plant the seed? Why, 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 why? It's instinct is to be curious and to satisfy that curiosity is how humans learn naturally. It's completely unnatural to imprison them in a building out away from nature and quote unquote, force them to learn and listen to and interact with screens now about stuff that they're not naturally curious about. And we see the natural result of this inhuman system called public education called school for, for, for decades, there has been increasing anxiety and mental health issues with children because school has gotten more and more alienating, which means less and less interaction with humans, more and more with computers and screens and phones and devices and isolation. And that's before the COVID lockdowns by staying at home and then going to school, stay away from each other, have a mask on, and you are installed in front of a computer screen, and kids are being trained at far too young of an age to interact with these machines. It's intentional to make them good little cogs in the wheel, bricks in the wall, serving these technocratic institutions and programs and technology and it'll capture them for life. And if they're not allowed to have a 10,000 conversations with other human beings, Mark, they're not going to learn emotional uh, intelligence. They're not going to be able to see and read another human being if they can't see each other's faces. It's, that's an, this is an abomination what's happening in the last two years. Yeah. I mean, you said it way better than I could, and I don't know what the solution is, but I think, you know, Folks listening who do have children, I think they are, you know, already aware. If not, maybe they should consider taking their children out of public school. But I know some folks in this community whose children were never part of public schools because they've been aware. And, you know, I met some of these kids and they seem perfectly fine. But then again... I went through public school and, you know, I don't think I was totally worse for wear. Otherwise I'd have this podcast. I think one thing that public school definitely did to me uh, was create this tremendous amount of social anxiety, which I don't know if I would have been able to deal with if it wasn't for martial arts. I think that definitely helped in a lot of ways, but yeah. Have you thought much about, solutions to this for folks listening maybe who have children in public school? I mean, what kind of options do they have other than homeschooling? There, I, I have not given a lot of time to organize my thoughts about solutions. I look forward to doing that. I've spent the last many years trying to succinctly list and describe the problems and uh, what's so bad about them. So my book is really an urge is a, is a, there's a great history of proving how phony these major institutions are and these official stories are. And I would submit to any young parents to do all that it might take 
for them to get in touch with themselves about what they think life is and should be for. How can they be true to themselves and their heart's desire about what they want to be, let alone what they want to help their children be, and to then do whatever it takes to accomplish that, because that's a great, that's a great start. If it's not a cop out to, to the question, but I'll submit this, I'll submit this could guide parents formulating solutions. There is a man named Dr. Bruce Lipton who has written many books. The primary well-known one is the biology of belief and his major thesis after a lifetime in medicine and observing, I guess, behavioral studies and mental health issues, his major idea is this. From birth until around seven years old, children are in a super learning subconscious state. And we, we see that in the one and two and three-year-olds who can learn two, three, four, five languages easily. It's a super learning state. And quickly adapting and learning how to get mom's love and attention and dad's love and attention, they quickly conclude and see and observe the power dynamics of all the people that they're around in order to figure out how to survive, how to get what they want, which is a sufficient amount of attention in the form, in all its forms, whether it's love, affection, but it's definitely food and warmth and, and, and safety. Okay. And this is, swallowed subconsciously in boys and girls. So by the time that we're seven, those kind of patterns, winning formulas and phobias and fears are locked in as our hard wiring. Okay. And then for the rest of our lives, because we have a subconscious thought, making money is easy. That person just tends always money always kind of works out for that person because in their little home environment, that was the subconscious conclusion. Most Americans have the opposite one. You got to work really hard. Money's really tight. Money's really scarce. And I never have enough money for anything. That kind of person can read all the books and work like heck to try to get ahead financially and have a successful business. And they won't, they'll always keep sabotaging it. Broadly speaking, generally speaking to make a point of Bruce Lipton's thesis It's our subconscious things, okay? Therefore, to put, to take kids, to steal kids from their families before they're seven or eight, while those subconscious patterns are still forming, like obedience to authority and pleasing authority, the first thing one would want to do is not let your kid anywhere near an environment like that, maybe ever, because I think it's atrocious and anti-life, let alone anti-mental health and happiness, to let them get taken at five for kindergarten, three or four for preschool. And there are a lot of, I think there's lots of states, counties, and towns that have programs for younger than, than two or three years old. And let alone daycare, they are not being given the two things, and this is again, Bruce's theory of how to be a human. What we need as infants and and children is a loving mother and a a confident and encouraging father, broad strokes. It could be any gender, but generally it tends to seem convenient for the mother to be very, very loving and creating and giving 
the feeling of safety. You're completely safe. You can see kids when they play in the playground and run around with each other. When we used to be able to, when kids used to be able to run around and play with each other, the exuberance they have when they feel safe, you know, because there's enough parents, you know, sitting on the benches around them. They know that they know they're safe. Kids are wild with life. They're wild for life when they feel safe. And if they hurt themselves, someone hurts their feelings or they scrape their knee, where do they go? They go running to mom and she does what? She makes them feel safe again. She says, there, there, everything's all right. You're okay. I love you. I always will. And even when I have to go to work, I'm always thinking of you. I always love you. And then I'll see you at dinner. I'm going to, yeah, there, you better know. Yeah, I'm okay. 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 I feel better. And a father who says, come on, we got a lot of things to do. We're going to figure it all out. We're going to make it up as we go along. We're going to make a big mess. We're going to clean it all up in time for dinner. And then we're going to do it all over again tomorrow. I need your help. We're going to learn a lot. We're going to go explore. We're going to find out how does this guy build cars? We're going to find out how does, how does this woman run her business? We're going to find out how do these people build that house? We're going to watch. We're going to help. We're going to do things. Come on, come on, come on. You can do it. Come on. And there, that's a, those are scenarios that would help. Those could be solutions for any parent who wants to save their precious children from the nightmare of public school. Can I comment on one thing? You, you very, very sanely and very appropriately reflected what I hear very, very often is, gee, Bruce, school didn't suck that bad. And I submit the bell curve as a model in case anyone can't picture it. Picture a big, fat, you know, area in the middle. And on the end, in the end, it tapers out. This is a graph, you know, of trends and things like that. On the ends, there are the fringes, you know. There are the those who are really, really great at something, the experts, they're at this end over here of this bell curve. It's shaped like a bell, big fat in the middle, and it tapers off to the sides. These are the ones that really, really excel in school. It's a hierarchy. Oh, you, you, you please your superiors, you dominate your inferiors, and you rise through the ranks just by doing what you're told. It's sifting and sorting, Mark. Those who are super at following orders and just not thinking for themselves, this is the policy. You can, you can rise to the top and run a thing like that. If you don't question why anything's done, you just say, Jawohl, mein Führer, right? And these become the, the CEOs and the generals and the heads of the hospitals and the heads of the big corporations and the big pharmaceutical corporations, because they, they are in lockstep obedience. They kiss the ass above them and they crap on the people underneath them. It's inhuman. It's not human. There's no reverence and respect for mutual rights. It's got nothing to do with American ideals of the consent of the governed. You don't care what your inferiors want to do. They have to follow orders. The military is the perfect model for hierarchies and that's school and that's corporate America. And that's what school is meant to find. Those who can enjoy a little taste of power over others. And it's sadomasochistic because they'll take all the abuse from those above them and they will viciously inflict abuse if, if, if they can get away with it on those below them. Fringe. Most human beings are very easygoing. They'll go with the flow. They're followers. They're repeaters. Oh, now our, our civilization is uh, rounding up the Jews. Okay. They just go along with it. Oh, well, authority said so. We've all been raised to, to believe authority and follow authority and obey authority. Oh, now we all have to wear masks. Okay. Oh, now we all have to suicidally shut our businesses. Oh, okay. 
oh, now we have to take this experimental injection. We don't know what's in it there. And in the trials, it killed almost all the animals involved in its uh, preparation. Sure, I'll take it. And then at the fringe, as opposed to those who obey no matter what it is, are the rebels, the free thinkers, the people who, the kids who act out in school, they're, they're drugged, they're diagnosed with ADHD. These are the troublemakers, toe the line. We don't know what's wrong with Johnny or Sally. They just won't do what they're told. Why can't you just do what you're told? That's what we learn in America, that if you act out, if you question anything, or if you don't want to do what you're being told to do, if you actually want to decide what you're going to do today, no, shut up and do what you're told. Get on the school bus. Those are the rebels. And there's a lot of suicide. There's a lot of despair. There's a lot of drug addiction. There's a lot of alcohol abuse. And there's also a lot of innovation. And there's also a lot of artwork because the rebels are the ones who question everything. And if we can get them over the despair, Mark, if we can teach people the hope of creativity because of what reality is, what consciousness is, what the real us is, we can inspire more and more people to, to think for themselves and to question everything, which starts with questioning, why do I do what I do? And if Americans would do that, they would come back to school as the answer to like, why do you do what you do? Why is it okay to just have a boring job, get on the couch at night and, you know, blow a bong and flip through, through Netflix. It's because, well, it doesn't matter. I've never had to say, I've never directed my own life, you know? I've never directed my own life. So why would I start now at 30 or 35 or 40? School. Don't get me started. Oh, you already did. <laughs> no, that's what you're here for, Bruce. And I think most people listening, you know, they know this in some way and it's medicine they need to hear because when you are dealing with the, you know, people in our lives that question us when we decide to rebel against you know what the herd will say is doing you know we need these conversations to motivate us and and i don't know inform you know and help us really come up with an argument and 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 when you find information that wasn't given to them in school or given to society through the corporate media your family might think you're crazy right well, and that's what puts us here on this show. And I think a lot of people, like I said, they're aware. But for those who maybe are still skeptical, events like 9-11, JFK assassination, these stand out as events that really, you know, you, when you learn the real details, you can't go back. And if you do, or if you if you don't, you know, want to see it, that's on you because it's pretty clear to anyone who takes an honest look at both of these events that there's a conspiracy at work. So anyone who wants to tell us here in this community that we're wrong about conspiracies, it's like, no, 9-11 and JFK, until you admit that those were both exactly, you know, as we've come to know, in one case, a false flag and in the other case, an assassination of someone who had a lot of enemies. And we'll get into JFK. I think we should get into him first because he's somebody who, as you put, uh, was an innovator, an artist, right? Someone not maybe artistic in the traditional sense, but as a politician, he, you know, 
swayed people to look at the world in a whole different way. He He's absolutely fascinating. He was not that long ago, ladies and gentlemen. And if I could ask him anything, I think I would ask him, sir, how aware were you of the, of the risk you were taking of getting assassinated by these, these forces that you were confronting? And I bet he would say completely, eyes wide open. And then it would be, why, why did you do it? Why did you, why did you do it at such great risk or near certainty of, of your, of your execution? And he might say, please reread my book, Profiles in Courage from 1955 or 1956, wherein he wrote, a person does what they must. That's all there is to human morality, regardless of the consequences, paraphrasing, something like that. And like Bruce Springsteen put in one song, I'll show you courage you can't understand. I can barely wrap my head around that, you know, but it's the same thing that a fringe will do. Mahatma Gandhi, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who had, who was hit in the head by rocks and bricks, who had rocks and bricks thrown through the windows of his home when he had little children there. I think he had, you know, fires started on his front porch and he knew there was an assassination plot, Martin Luther King, but also, John F. Kennedy is an onion you can't stop peeling for his significance in what you and I could be as humans, what you and I could be as Americans, and what you and I could be as uh, influencers, because he tried to be a real president. He tried to wake up, Mark. He tried to do what a president is commissioned to do, preserve, protect, and defend the constitution of the United States. He tried to steer the government, control the government, open up the government in ways that empowered the people to fulfill the ideal, the vision, the intention of what America was founded to be, which, you know, was really in the dust and hard to see even by the 1960s when he was president. So, and then if someone gets my book and they see, you know, the evidence for the, the, uh, his killing at the hands of elements of our government and the participation of our government in the infliction of 9-11, what a, a great takeaway would be to realize that our government and the corporate media cannot be trusted because they have lied to us about so many things that have caused real harm and real deaths. And there is a, there's a great chapter in my book called The Brief History of the United States, which gets people really up to speed about a ton of stuff. This is the one book someone could read or give to, you know, a newbie who wants to understand how could COVID be phony or how could, you know, the government do this or, or why would they do it? You realize it's, a, it's, it's all that's being done now. And JFK was the turning point. He was the plot point at the end of act two, you know, that sets up the story to its final confrontation between the protagonist and the antagonist. And then you find out who wins, you know, nine 11 is the end of America's story because the last scene in the movie or the book called America is the USA Patriot act 
and the Department of Homeland Security, which basically are tombstones on the grave in which America is buried. America is dead. It does not exist. Last point. Because America is real and only exists where people live under the Constitution and where our rights and the Bill of Rights are honored. It doesn't matter that we see the show business of elections and inaugurations and parades and debates on TV. That's show business. I used to be an actor. I can put on a show. You know, I can put on a show. And especially if you have the budget of the federal government, you can put on a hell of a show. That doesn't mean it's real. It's not real anymore. So if we're going to have those rights and be America, we've got to become people who live under the Constitution. And to have representatives who honor it and work within its boundaries, we're far from that. And how to get there is going to take a miraculous accumulation of action by a lot of us. Now, you were flipping through my book, and you look like you had, you might have had something to say. And I just railroaded right through those signals. No, no, Bruce, you're, you're very <laughs> perceptive. I feel like I can't hide anything from you. I did want to flip to a portion of the book that I read because chapter nine, as you mentioned, a brief history of the United States brings you right up to speed on a lot of things that I think we, we get bits and pieces of our history and we get this really watered down version of characters like Abraham Lincoln, who you mentioned before, Thomas Jefferson, and we often get a skewed uh, version of who they were and what they represented. I think a good um, example of that is Alexander Hamilton. You know, there's this whole Broadway play about him, which I'm sure you have some things to say about, given your experience in that field, you know, and they just glorify this guy who was so corrupt and awful that Aaron Burr challenged him to a pistol duel. I mean, this is, it's just so ludicrous that however many years later we have Hamilton being, you know, glorified by the left in this country and, you know, go figure. He was also part of the federal bank establishing that way back when and giving that a leg in. So he's, he's a fascinating figure to read. I don't know that Burr killed him because he was so corrupt. I don't know how corrupt that he was. I haven't seen the musical. I haven't heard one song from, from the latest musical. I wish everyone great success who's involved with any production of it. Hamilton represented the money interests as they centered in New York City at the founding. And he was a very competent person and he had very, very strong ideas, but he had a lot of ties with, with the money forces. Okay. And it was, there was, and, and as, a, as there always should be a raging debates throughout the revolutionary war throughout the next 10 years, when they had to divide, to, you know, write a new constitution to strengthen some things that, that may or may not have needed fixing. You're right. Nothing's black and white and we have to go as close to the sources as possible but, and, and, and Hamilton was accused of being a monarchist by his enemies, you know, by the, by the, the, the Republicans under Jefferson, which was the legacy of the Democrat party. And, and I love a lot of what Jefferson espoused, which was limited government, very locally and very, very small central government. And if you read the uh, Federalist Papers and the Anti-Federalist Papers. It's a fascinating debate, but here's the bottom line to take away. This is where we could all take a deep breath and consider this. This is the 
this is the reason to study the, the founding of America. Throughout human history, it was the rich against the poor. It was the few who could try to enslave and exploit the masses. That's the story of planet Earth. Now, prehistory, maybe at other times, there were many little societies and little cultures for this period of time or that period of time. They were very egalitarian. It seems to happen naturally at the tribal level. You know, the smaller the society, the more everyone could get together and make a decision. That's democracy, okay? But when there's so many people that we have to elect people to represent us into a center, that's a republic, okay? That's fine. And then the representative is supposed to go back to the people and say, well, this is what I voted for. This is what I didn't vote for. And they either say, good, you get to go back and represent us again. Or they say, hi, you're an idiot. You're fired. You, you go next time and vote for us. Oh, okay. And it's, and it's supposed to be accountable to, to the people. Okay. So in all of human history to conceive of the average human having rights, it used to be Kings with the weapons, peasants, with no weapons, who had rights? It was the guys with the weapons, okay? It's the bigger, stronger tribe conquering, enslaving the, the, the other tribe. Until in Western civilization, I don't know so much about the Orient as much as I know about Western civilization. Perhaps it happened out there very, very often. But until the United States of America, it was might made right. You know, the, the, the kings with the, the guy with the biggest army became king. And then the, the king with the biggest army conquered the other king. And it was just, it's just dog eat dog because might made right. With the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, right, our rights made might. We were supposedly, we were equal under the law. And in the brief period of time when America existed, because remember I say it doesn't exist anymore, about 250 years until 9-11, you know, 1776 to 2001, do the math, you know, 225 years, 24 years. That's it. That's it. In that brief period of time, there was all the flourishing of America and a revolution around the world of people rising up against tyrannical leaders. And during that time, there was a, there was a constant conversation among regular people about the role of the citizen, our duty and obligation to vote. We're trying to self-govern. These are the American ideas from the founding. It's an experiment in self-government by sending representatives who represent us. We're governing ourselves by the representatives we send to Congress who are supposed to work for in our interest and protect the public good. And America was the high watermark of human history, in my opinion. We can recreate it at any time. We can, we can do it individually. We can do it locally as much as possible. And we've got huge forces against us. And just to, all that to make this one point, don't shoot me. John F. Kennedy was the high watermark of America's 250 years, 224 years, in my opinion, because so much of the 
money had started controlling America after the Civil War. And it, it's, it was unlikely that anyone as late as 1960 would or could would even try to stand up against the corrupt, the corrupt forces of business and government the way that Kennedy did. And his, what he had to say, just like studying the American founding will give everybody all this perspective, like, oh, that's what, that's what where rights came from and what's important about them. Studying John F. Kennedy, who was not that long ago, you can see films of him. You can figure out what his style was and how he thought by watching how he was interviewed and answered questions. By studying John F. Kennedy, we can see a living, breathing example of a human being racked with pain because of his physical ailments and his illnesses and his injuries, putting on a good front and a good face and insisting on measures that advanced our society forward that got that. And he wanted to specifically, he wanted to avoid war with the Soviet union while the military industrial complex, there were huge factors of it hell bent for a nuclear exchange with the Soviet union. And he wanted to rein in our abuse of the poorer nations He wanted to stop us from exploiting the natural resources of the third world countries. He wanted to help them get up on their feet as independent, sovereign nations whose whose resources could enrich and empower their people. And they were just talking about rights and uh, government responsive to the people, just like we supposedly had in America. That's what's thrilling about the American founding. And that's what's thrilling about John F. Kennedy for anybody to, to learn about. And this is for anyone. And there's tons of Americans, Mark, especially under 40 years old who have no excitement for life. They can't imagine how could life be exciting and how could I, what power do I have to do anything? What adventures can I have? All my adventures are in my video games. All my adventures are, are in my phone. I express myself by showing my tits and ass on TikTok. That's the height of achievement for a, a generation or two, that kind of thing. I know TikTok's relatively recent. And that's so tragically short of the phenomenally great things that humans can create. But also, and worse, it's tragically short of the happiness and the personal fulfillment we can have with each other when we feel safe and we honor each other's rights and we collaborate and we consent. We govern ourselves. Even when a group of friends talks about what are we going to do tonight? When friends used to be able to go out publicly, what are we going to do tonight? You know, that's, that's, that's a small example of how fun it is to self govern. We get to decide, we get to choose. Agreed. You're making a good case for it, Bruce. I don't know how we got there from Jefferson, but I want to get back to Jefferson because I think, you know, like you said as well, there's a lot of misconceptions about him and his ideology, we'll say, inspired what became the Democratic Party, which I think a lot of people don't understand the history of these two groups and they tend to just think of them statically as you know what they're represented 
in whatever political year, you know, for whatever political election when, you know, these groups have a history of really being hypocrites. I mean, if you look at it, they're they're ideologically one way, then another way, then another way. It just seems like corporatism is the real influence or at least how they can make money, you know, is always the dominant interest. Well, that's that's very true today. I am often persuaded the major political parties, it's great to think of them as competing uh, basketball teams. Same sponsors. Right. It's entertainment. Or competing, you know, which is more savage, frat houses. You know, savage. You know, and and politics is a blood sport. They will kill to become, to rise to the governorships and and the presidencies anymore. And it is hypocritical what they are now. Jefferson... And like, like all the founders who wrote about freedom and all men are created equal, a good number of them held slaves. So there's a, there's a hypocrisy there. And yet you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater for however, for whatever percentage of the founders were hypocrites, there was arguably at least as many of them who freed their slaves. There were A lot of legislatures in the states in the North and in the South, one or two in the South, I think maybe Virginia, you know, soon after the Declaration of Independence in 1776, started abolishing slavery, limiting slavery, getting rid of it because they realized they they saw the disconnect, you know, like, yeah, you know, this, these are human beings. And that's, that's very worthy of discussion. Jefferson in particular, if you want to go a little deeper into him. I love him. I love his writings. I love the example that he was. I love how smart he was. Do I love everything about him? No. Do I love everything about everybody I've ever known or met or read about? No, but that's life, you know? Yeah. Well, let's get into them for folks who maybe were like me and didn't pay attention in history class. Like what were some of the things that really stood out when you went and looked into Jefferson? He's a, he is kind of a peak example of something very common back then. It was a very unique place, the 13 colonies back in the 1700s. You know, they, they were educated, the, the, the ruling class, the aristocracies, those who descended from the money of the time, from the colonial period, which came from either trade from the North, you know, in New England and New York, or it came from land riches and the plantations and the slavery of the South, they sent their sons to the colleges and universities that had already been created. They also sent them to Europe often to the oldest and, and, you know, best universities there. What's my point is that Jefferson is, is a peak experience of all the founders. They were most of the founders, all of them, you know, those whose names are on the declaration, those who served in the first couple of Congresses during the war and those who gathered at the convention in 1787 to write the convention, uh, the constitution, they were experienced, well-educated, typically lawyers who had a deep history of knowledge of history. And Mark, they used to debate. It was on their, it was their fingertips. Like, like you and I know, you know, Spider-Man's nuances and Batman's nuances in that adventure and in this adventure, they knew Cicero and the other Roman 
philosophers and they knew the mistakes of this Roman emperor and that Roman emperor and this English king in the 1400s and this English king in the 1600s. That was all at their, at their fingertips. And they studied uh, successful governments back a thousand years when they wrote and tried to design and put in you know, the institutions that were necessary for a functioning government. And also they were riding the wave of this explosion called the Renaissance which was the free thinking finally after hundreds of years of domination, mental domination by the Catholic church, you know, and this enforced ignorance, you weren't allowed to read. There was this thing called the printing press all of a sudden in the 14 or 15 or whenever it was hundreds. And there was a revolutionary uh, revolution of scientific experimentation and Newton and figuring out, wait a minute, well, the sun's not going around us. We're going around it and we're turning. And so, they, they, they had such a love and passion for knowledge for its own sake. And the, I think it was two or 3 million inhabitants of the 13 colonies. That's all. The literacy rate, my understanding was something like 90%. So the pamphlets in the newspaper trying to persuade the, the, the mobs to vote for this or vote for that were written at such a high level. You know, there are university graduates today, Mark, who would have a hard time understanding just what was in the newspaper back in the 1700s, because the literacy rate back then was so high. And also remember these small little communities and these cities, which were just big towns to you and me, you know, the mayors and the governors and, and, the, and the state representatives in the legislature, we knew where they lived. We knew where they shopped. You know, they came out on the street and they walked to the same markets we did. So the, the level of accountability was much higher. The level of honesty, in my impression, someone could, you know, you, someone could then, you know, text us 17 books that prove how corrupt they all were, and maybe they were, but the, the, the impression, and as far as it impacted those societies as a whole, was, was very, very high. And Jefferson was a genius. He, he, was, a, he, was, he was a lawyer. He was a botanist. He was an agriculturalist. He was a musician. He was a philosopher. He was an inventor. He was an architect, if I'm not repeating myself. So as an individual to, to be inspired by like all you could be, or, you know, have I tapped out all my powers, what this guy, you know, could do and what he was thinking, what he aspired to. And you could also argue, he wrote the declaration of independence. Let's not forget to mention that. He, he was, you know, this, the third president of the United States, and he espoused the, the real Republican idea that, no, 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 we don't, we don't want a big central government. We want, you know, we, we don't want to focus on industry. We want individual families and farmers who are autonomous and who, you know, grow their own food and who, you know, and they're very, very close to their representatives. I got to mute for a minute and clear this bug in my throat. <sighs> and I'm fire hosing you. Please chirp in. I, I want to check in, you know, my covering or illuminating things about Jefferson of interest to you, Mark. Yeah. Keep going. I'm with you. Well, you know, for all that he could be accused of being a hypocrite for having slaves and having children by slaves as he apparently did. And yet he wrote, you know, all men are created equal and everyone's got the right to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Like Abraham Lincoln commented about him and those claims 80 years later, 
He said, thank God for Jefferson and the Declaration of Independence for establishing an ideal. And human nature is imperfect. We are these conniving, scared, manipulating, and manipulatable creatures that have created the effed up world we have today. But here's a great ideal. And Lincoln said, the claim that all men are created equal and have the right to be ruled, that only those laws are just, that have the consent of the governed. Lincoln said, those ideas will always be a stumbling block to those who would set themselves up as tyrants. And Mark, I submit to you and everyone that to learn, because Americans today don't know all this. Not enough Americans know all this. It's dry, it's boring, or it's Republican to a lot of Americans, okay? When enough of us know this, we will realize America is ours to create like it was theirs in the 1700s. So choose your model. Is it Jefferson? Is it Washington? And I'll choose Ben Franklin or Thomas Paine. We get to do it. And it's as urgent right now as it was then. Here's a cherry on the cake you might love. In John F. Kennedy's inaugural address in 1961, in the first paragraph, he says, we, we observe today, not a celebration of, not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. For I've sworn before you and almighty God, the same solemn oath our forebears prescribed nearly a century and a half ago. You know, I said what's in the Constitution that a guy is supposed to say when he becomes president. Then he said, the world is very different now. For man holds in his mortal hands the ability to abolish all forms of human suffering and all forms of human life. And yet, the same revolutionary beliefs for which our forebears fought are still at issue around the world. The belief that the rights of man come not from the generosity of the state, but from the hand of God. And then he said, we dare not forget today that we are the heirs of that first revolution. Kennedy said, we dare not forget that we have to create and maintain America and all that's at stake for our rights against the tendency of government to become tyrannical on behalf of the rich. We have to do that as urgently as the founders and Mark, you and I would agree as every generation has to, because let's say we revolutionized America and we established a transparent and honest government that admitted nine 11 lies and admitted all the Kennedy lies and admitted all the COVID lies and everything was hunky-dory, and everybody could vote easily, and we cleaned up the environment, and we eradicated everything that's out to harm us, right? Yay. What's our next job? It's to teach our kids, if you fall asleep on the job, the a-holes who want to enslave and exploit you are going to come crawling back into, with bribery and corruption, the representatives who are supposed to be working for you. So that's how urgent it is today. Absolutely. And you see now, you know, what we kind of saw 
in 2019 with European countries taking to the streets. We have this convoy in Canada, and the media is completely silent. And when they do talk about it, they you know misrepresent it. I heard something uh, the other day. I don't remember what news source it was, but they said there were hundreds of protesters in Canada. I think the real number is in the tens of thousands. So the media is playing tricks to give people at home the impression that nothing's changing. But podcasts like this one, I hope, are fueling a change in you know the collective consciousness. Because when I see what's going on up there in Canada from the folks that share videos and posts on the telegram we have, it touches my heart because I see people standing up for freedom. And, you know, Canada obviously doesn't have the benefits that we have of a constitution and all the things that that entails, but we're really not that much better off considering, as you put, you know, the Patriot Act, when I've, I've felt this way for a long time, you know, we can't trust the government when they are able to, uh, you know, under the cover of night, blow up two buildings and then put this, you know, Patriot Act in between us and the Constitution. You know, that needs to be reconciled. Unfortunately, I don't think a lot of people who are, you know, into the freedom movement, understand that, you know, we see what's happening with the January, what are we going to call it? Insurrection is what the media calls it. I guess we'll call it a peaceful protest for the sake of being on the other side of things and giving a fair and balanced look. But yeah, I think whatever happened on January 6th, it was pretty obvious that the people there weren't there to destroy the Capitol. They were there because they're very upset with, you know, the election going the way that it did, whether it was stolen or not, they felt like they had been, you know, taken advantage of. And it's their right to gather on the national lawn and protest. So here we are in this modern world where the Mockingbird media is calling that into question. Is that even possible without the Patriot Act? I don't know. Yeah. The the level of corruption, all you described... I will take as evidence proving my theory that America doesn't exist anymore, you know, and that's, it's another reason to have a really big spiritual imagination because the nuts and bolts of it would justifiably cause anyone to despair. And yet hope springs eternal. And we have to, I've always loved this phrase that good things will happen when enough of us know. That's it. You know, enough of us know the truth that you've been lied. We've been lied to by the people we trusted. We've been hurt by the people we trusted who told us somebody else did it. And therefore we've got to go and invade and kill them. And the, uh, in many ways, like I say in my book, we live in opposite land. You know, this is not America. The department of defense starts wars you know, the medical error error is the third leading, was the third leading cause of death in the United States. So what we were buying as cures were killing us. It's, it's opposite land. And there are a lot of cliffs we're heading toward. There are a lot of nooses around our neck that are, that are, that are tightening. 
And it's, it's just great enough. You know, Kennedy said, everyone can make a difference and everyone should try, you know, so you've got this podcast, you've got the other podcasts that you're, that you help and you serve and that you appear on, you know, and I wrote my book and I helped, you know, Chris Milligan, you know, spread, spread the word about his other books that expose all this garbage and corruption and crimes behind the scenes. And it's just time to be an adult and it's just time to, talk with other concerned human beings. How, what do we make out of all this? Where do we find the hope? And that's what I tried to pack into my book as like a nice snowball of, well, when you have this historical view, you realize this is what humans do. Don't take it personally. You know, our toys are just more lethal. That's all. That's all. You know, a few corrupt, some bitches always take power and exploit and abuse people and become so corrupt that their empires collapse and the whole cycle starts all over again. And also develop a healthy, robust spiritual imagination so you can appreciate and try to create love with everyone and everything every moment, even when you're alone, so that you love existence. What do you make of all that, my friend? Agreed. And I think it's well said. You're very good at what you do, Bruce, and that's why I invited you here. I think, you know, it's always important to give people the hope as you called it. I mean, I tend to, I tend to see things glass half full and I don't know if that makes me naive, but I definitely think there's something to that. And when enough of us are thinking glass half full, i truly believe that we have the ability to cause a collective conscious shift in, you know, those of us who maybe, are integrating with the technosphere, you know, spending most of their waking life in the video game realm or in the metaverse social media realm, you know, all of these ARGs that they're overlaying on top of our actual reality. I hope that if enough of us anchor our consciousness away from that and into the natural harmony, that those people will find it you know, more appealing to exit than to go further and immerse themselves into that metaverse technosphere. Because that's, I mean, in my opinion, what the military created in the past 60 years with mass media, movies, television, and video games being kind of the, the you know, sort of on the fringe of both, but really kind of becoming the more popular and more, I would say immersive version of the three. I think that the three are equally bad in their own ways and equally inspiring in some ways too. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say all our, you know, movies, television or video games are bad. I've been inspired by all three at different points in my life. I think what is worth noting is how their influence can take a hold over your consciousness in a way that's very insidious and to the point where you might not realize until you listen to a show like this that your subconscious decisions are being affected by what you see and hear in those forms of, of media. Yeah, it's a major indoctrination. It's a major mind control. 
and it's a major time suck. You know, we've, we've got a limited amount of time and attention and where we put it. And again, it comes back to our, our, our habitual sense of either empoweredness or powerlessness, because that kind of techno capture, you know, digital capture, all that screen time is, is fine for someone who just thinks this is as good as it gets, you know, and I'll just be, I'll just wait to be given permission for what kind of job I can have or how many people I could have at my party or how many masks I'm supposed to wear. And, you know, it's, it's really fascinating and it's, and it's, and it's urgent to, to empower folks to the best extent possible. We can't do it alone. We have, we have to, we have to converse with, with, with folks of all kinds, you know, even those who are brainwashed by the media into that worldview who live in a completely different reality than the reality I live in because of what I know and have seen about what, what's real behind the scenes. And I see the trends and I, you know, you it's, and there's, and there's a lot of hope for the, you know, and the internet does give us also a lot of hope because a lot of truth can get out there because of podcasts like this and a lot of other truth tellers. Agreed. I think, I think that's the hope, you know, people listening to this show. Thank you for being here, Bruce. I want to give folks an opportunity to follow up with you and check out your book, check out the podcast that you're working on and tell us again, maybe a little bit more about Ed Dodge and the podcast you're doing with him. I'm excited to see that. I had that book sent to me from the publisher. Is it, it wasn't trying day. It was like, you know, destiny books or, or whatever the other name for it. Ed's book, a history of the goddess. Yeah. The lost history of the goddess. It was sent to well, me. It's not, it's not lost. No, I'm, I've confused you with the, the podcast name. The book is a history of the goddess. Right. From uh, and that's a trying day book. That is a trying day book. Interesting. Okay, I don't remember. Yeah. Maybe if I'm getting this confused, then. But I'm excited, regardless, to see this podcast yeah. and what comes next. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about. I mean, it's on YouTube primarily, and the channel is Lost Goddess IO. Those two initials together, and the website is lostgoddess.io. And Ed Dodge explores the themes in his book, A History of the Goddess from the ice age to the Bible, all about the divine uh, feminine. And I've been co-host now, maybe on three or four or five episodes so far. He's been doing the pie. He's a little longer. And it's just fascinating because he's, he is knowledgeable up to, up to his, you know, up to his eyes about this kind of stuff, deep research. He's really got an academic kind of mind. And it's really fascinating to hear him talk about the old biblical tales and, how you know, the Canaanites were really Israelites. They were different, you know, and, and all that they complained about how bad and vicious and awful the Canaanites were. Well, a large part is because they had female go gods and he really gives, does a great job explaining all that. And you also invited me you know, to remind folks where to get in touch with me, go to brucedataris.com and you'll see, you know, all about my book and you'll see my email Bruce at brucetatoris.com if you want to, you know, invite me on your podcast or anything else. And tryingday.com is where all of the, those great books I've been, I mentioned can be found. And um, also on my site, there's a link to the Trying Day podcast that I helped Chris with where he interviews his other authors. Each episode's about 30 minutes. Pick a title you like, listen to them, listen to them all. There's about 80 episodes now. 
been doing it about a year and a half, an amazing curriculum to get up to speed with the truth behind the scenes. And I just feel like saying again, don't panic, ladies and gentlemen, when you get convinced about everything you learn on Mark's podcast here or from my book or from anything at Trine Day, it, don't take it personally. It's just what humans do. A few psychopathic lunatics grab the reins of power in every government eventually and go crazier and crazier as they have more and more power over others. It makes them insane because it's a very unnatural situation. We are equals. We're supposed to honor each other's rights. We're supposed to collaborate and make up the rules of the game together. No one's supposed to have power over others without their consent. That's the American ideal. It's just what happens because most humans are good natured. Most humans just want to go along with everybody else. Oh, you know, we're, bur we're burning women at the stake now. Okay. If you say so, you know, if authority says they got to be burned, they got to be burned. You know, most people do. Yeah, we have to love that so many people are asleep and don't care about history. And all we can do is all we can do. And if it gets bricks thrown at our head, like Martin Luther King, or, you know, bullets in the head, like John F. Kennedy, we, we go to, we go to that next phase peaceful, knowing we were true to ourselves and we modeled courage for our, you know, those around us. And we try to inculcate the idea, have no fear. And the spiritual idea, it's all you, baby. There's only one of us here. You know, you can't be harmed because you're a spiritual thing. You really can't be harmed. And thank you, Mark, for a platform and for caring what I think about anything and inviting me into your, into your show here. As a, and I'm really grateful. As I said, Bruce, it was long overdue. I've spent some time with you in person on the Freethinker Society way back when in studio. We got to make another one of those happen again soon. But yeah, it's it's been a pleasure like usual. Talking to you is always a delight and refreshing too because you're, you know, and I, I'm not just saying this because you're on my show and because you're my guest, but you're a brilliant guy and you have a wonderful way of presenting this information from your voice to your humor and your attitude. So I, I'm glad to call you a friend, Bruce, and I'm glad that we were able to have this conversation here on the show and the listeners, like I said, support Bruce, check out his book. I own it. And the podcast that he's working on sounds like there's another one in the works now with Ed. So I'll be tuning into that as well. Trine Day is definitely a podcast I'm subscribed to. Naturally, it's a part of Alt Media United. So you can go there and check that out. But thank you, folks, for listening wherever you are in the now. Enjoy the moment. before the Congressional Committee
the highest representation of the American people under subpoena to tell what I knew of activities, which I believe might lead to an attempt to set up a fascist dictatorship. The plan as outlined to me was to form an organization of veterans, to use as a bluff or as a club at least, to intimidate the government and break down our democratic institutions. The upshot of the whole thing was that I was supposed to lead an organization of 500,000 men, which would be able to take over the functions of government. I talked with an investigator for this committee who came to me with a subpoena on Sunday, November 18th. He told me they had unearthed evidence linking my name with several such veteran organizations. As it then seemed to me to be getting serious, I felt it was my duty to tell all I knew of such activities to this committee. My main interest in all this is to preserve our democratic institutions. I want to retain the right to vote, the right to speak freely, and the right to write. If we maintain these basic principles, our democracy is safe. No dictatorship can exist with suffrage, freedom of speech, and press. During the last three months of traveling, I've gained the impression that Mr. Roosevelt's popularity is on the wane, but that it is not slipping fast enough to, of itself, destroy his chances for re-election in 1936. The great mass of open-minded Americans who are not blindly bound by party allegiances and whose votes really decide elections, again, have come to the conclusion that the Democratic Party cannot run this country. But they do not seem to have any more confidence in the old-line Republican politicians. Mr. Roosevelt will be re-elected unless he makes some false step involves us in a foreign war which is surely coming. Just remember, too, that this administration has control of the vote-getting machinery and has control of five billion dollars to spend as it seems fit. And as present-day politics show, you could elect an Eskimo with five billion dollars. I, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, do solemnly swear that you will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. That I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. And will, to the best of your ability, and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help you God. So help me God. Let the word go forth from this time and place to friend and foe alike that the torch has been passed to a new generation of Americans born in this century, tempered by war, disciplined by a hard and bitter peace, proud of our ancient heritage, and unwilling to witness or permit the small undoing of those human rights to which this nation has always been committed and to which we are committed today at home and around the world. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the My Family Fix Some Crazy podcast. Big thanks to Bruce Satoris for coming on the show today. I'm your host, Mystic Mark, for a brief extended outro to tell you all the ways you can support the show. 
Moving into March, we've got merch. It's merch madness. That's right. March is the month of merch madness. If you use the promo code MFTIC88 on our Teespring store, you can get free shipping on any one of our amazing selections of merch. We have sweatshirts, hoodies, t-shirts, mugs, stickers, all kinds of great stuff. Amazing designs made by yours truly. My favorite ones, well, they look like rock and roll band t-shirts, but based around conspiracy themes. That's right, you heard it. I can't describe it any other way but that. So just go see for yourself. Go to our Teespring you can find the link in the episode description or go to our link tree, linktr.ee slash MFTIC, and you'll find the link right there. Or go to myfamilythinksimcrazy.com and support the show. You can find the merch store in the menu on myfamilythinksimcrazy.com. We also have a Patreon, a Rockfin. And a telegram, support the show. If you join in on Patreon, you get access to our exclusive telegram, as well as over 50 bonus episodes that you can't find anywhere else. Thank you to everyone who is subscribed on Patreon. Our goal is to make it to 500. Let's do it, folks. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now. 